to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. And uh, so I, I've been reading the Bible uh, for all these years. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to say that I have a better understanding of the Bible now that uh, I've been a Christian for 11 years. But to be honest, you know, there are some stuff in there that just intrigues me, that, uh, that leaves me with more questions that uh, I just cannot explain. You know, how many of you have experiences like that? You know, you read some stuff and you're like, wow, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know about that, you know. And, uh, and you know, one of the, the most fascinating verses in the Bible, um, it's a verse in Luke 2. And it says this, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, in favor of God and men. It's, it's such a, a phenomenal verse because it, it brings to mind the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, we, we are all familiar with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, amen? Like, you know, he, he bore the cross for our sin and our shame. But, you know, there, there was another sacrifice that Jesus partook of, and that was the sacrifice of coming from heaven to earth. Right. Yeah. He's the Son of God. He, he is worshipped, adored in the heavenlies. And he came down, confined to the limitations of man, or came down as a baby. That means, you know, he cried, he, he longed to be nursed, you know, he, he had to grow up, he had to endure uh, the limitations of man. The Bible even says that he, he battled with the temptations that you and I would face. You know, it, he, he was limited in that regard. And he needed to grow as well. You know, he, he needed to grow naturally, physically, he needed to grow in height, in build. But you know, the Bible also accounts for his growth in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. That's phenomenal because you know, it, he is the perfect model of not just ministry, he is the perfect model of what it means to live a Christian life. Amen? And if Jesus pursued growth, spiritual growth, in that regard, then you and I, what excuse do we have? No, he's the son of God. And yet he pursued growth on the earth. You and I, we are, we are called to pursue growth. You know, Paul says this. Paul says that we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is not the final point. It is the starting point. And from that point, you work out. In the Greek, the word work out means to continually do. To continually work to do the works of salvation. And then Paul would go on to say that every man in that day will give an account for their own lives. The false teaching is that pastors will give an account for their sheep. That's not true. You, as individuals, will give an account for your own lives, for your own growth. And you're mistaken if you think the responsibility of your growth is someone else's. It's yours. Amen, Andre. I love you, Andre. You're so good, Andre. <laughs> I need to affirm myself. <laughs> so look to he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. It's so puzzling, you know. He he grew in favor with God and men. It it, it just confuses me because. 
Jesus is the Son of God. He's beloved, yet he grew in favor with God. And I've asked, often asked myself the question, why would Jesus need to grow in favor with God? Honestly, I don't know. But I've come to a conclusion that if Jesus needed to grow in favor with God, I, I'm pretty sure I need to grow in favor with God. I need to pursue this thing called favor, right? right? If he's the model of what it means to be Christian, then his pursuits, wisdom, stature, favor of God, and man, should be our pursuits as well. Amen? So, you know, favor is something I want to talk about this morning. You know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, and I said, you know, bro, um, I feel like the Lord has been putting stuff in me to, to preach and talk about that um, I haven't gotten a lot of experience of. You know, it's, it's, very, it's all concepts to me at this point, or it's, it's, it's stuff and principles that are put out from the Word of God. And I feel like I'm living in this tension almost of like, this is what I know the Word of God says, this is what I know to be true, but I, I'm, I've only uh, experienced or I'm only living up to this level and I'm in this frustration all the time. And I was, I was telling him, like, you know, I feel like you know, um, if I only preach the stuff that I have uh, attained it to some level, you most likely will get three or four sermons the whole year. <laughs> but, but the fun part about church, the fun part about this community is that we pursue this growth together. Amen? Like, and I, I want to be fully honest and give you uh, the, like the most raw and brutal truth. I have not attained it. <laughs> Some of the stuff that I'll talk about, I'm still working out for my life. But there is that grace that comes when we're in community when we realize that, hey, we are all falling short in our own areas and falling short in different uh, uh, things that we're still trying to work out and we get to work it together, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, it is a privilege you know, to, to share you know, what I feel God has uh, placed on my heart. Yeah. So I want to talk about favor this morning. Are you ready? Yeah. Favor, favor, favor. What is favor, actually? You know, I know part. I know wedding favors. I'm pretty familiar with wedding favors now. Uh, but what really is favor? You know, I would put favor into three categories. Favor can look like having resources. So resources is not tied up to money. It can be time. It can be people. Favor also looks like influence. It looks like having the ability to create and cause change in different environments, in different spheres. But also, favor looks like divine empowerment. The word that is used to describe favor in the Bible is the word cherish. Everybody say cherish. And cherish, every other time it is mentioned in the Bible, would be translated to the word grace. It's where we get the word charisma, charisma, right? And you know, it it is an incredibly annoying, frustrating thing slash a fun thing, having this form of divine empowerment in your life. How many of you have encountered an individual or person where they just are able to do things really easily? Like, you know, maybe two of you go for a guitar class together and this person just picks it up right there and then. And it takes you like 10 years. You know, I've learned the guitar since I was 11 years old. And I only started playing actual guitar when I was 17. It took me six years. You know, and, and, and some people just have, have that grace, have that favor on their lives. 
I know John Wong has an anointing for parking spots. That's right. I tell you, man, he will be up here. We'll form the line and you can get an impartation. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, but, but I've been with him and he will get parking spots in, all the time in like some of the places where you wouldn't even try. You know, like when you drive and then you're like, yeah, I'm not going to even attempt that. I'm going to park and walk. But he would favor, you know. And uh, we, we, there, there's this guy that uh, used to be part of a church. His name is Gary. Uh, most of you will know Gary. And Gary, man, what, what is the tally now? He would win, I think at this point, according to my count, it's at least 15 to 20. Those Facebook uh, win contests, that kind, he wins like 15 to 20 of those from like free, um, you know, tech stuff to free trips to flight tickets, you know. Crazy, right? It's getting ridiculous and then getting borderline annoying already. Like. <laughs> but it builds faith, you know, because I always thought it was a scam until he started winning and I was like, wow, it's a real thing. Eh. <laughs> Favor, right? It's a very obvious, recognizable thing, right? And favor often looks like stuff like that. You know, it looks like influence. It looks like resources. And uh, most of the time, it manifests itself in the form of empowerment. A person uh, just does things easily, you know, gets things done quicker, um, less hassle, less toiling. And that's what favor looks like for most individuals. And you know, the one thing I realized about our church, this church, is that we're a church that's highly favored. And I'm not saying that in like a, yeah, you're highly favored, feel like, love it, you know. But, but it is shocking and it is astonishing, like the level of influence that the Lord has trusted this church with. It is shocking and it is, it is amazing. It is humbling to be a part of a church like this, you know, with the ability to influence, to shape this nation, Right? We, we, we all know we have people in the midst that have the ability to transform, to, to shape, to move culture as we know it. That's favor. That's favor. But before I move on into the meat of my sermon, I want to draw a distinction for you. In Luke, it says this. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. The gospel writer draws a distinction for us. Favor with God and favor with men. I would like to propose to you this morning that it is possible to grow in favor with men apart from the favor that God gives you. We've seen people, you know, have extravagant lives. You know, if I were to define favor based on influence, based on resources, we all know people in our lives who have influence, who have resources, but they are not following the Lord. They're not believers. You know, and, and so how do you explain that? Where do we draw the distinction between the favor that God brings and the favor that man gives? The distinction is found in this verse. Let's put that verse up. It says this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. It says that it is the blessing of the Lord, in some translation, the favor of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. We all know people who are influential, are rich, you know, CEOs of different corporations. Yes, they are, they, they are influential, they are, are rich with resources. But most of them either lack the trust of their employees, have um, estranged families, suffering relationally, right? 
they have the favor, but there's sorrow attached to it. There was a cost. You know, in their pursuit for, for uh, uh, building their organization, building their, their career, there came a cost and there was sorrow involved. But the favor that God gives to you and me, that He offers to us as believers, it doesn't come with sorrow. And that's the distinction. There's no sorrow when God plants His favor in you. And that word sorrow, you, you, you have to read it in the Greek, man. The word sorrow, okay, it, it doesn't, isn't only limited to that, that bad feeling, but the word sorrow actually also translates to toiling. He gives you favor that comes without toiling. Here's what I want to propose to you. The favor that God gives to you, you do not have to upkeep. He will fight on your behalf. Jehoshaphat, when he worshipped the Lord, right? He came to the Lord with, a, with an issue, with a problem, with a circumstance. The multitudes of the armies were, were coming against him. And Jehoshaphat was like, God, what do I do in this situation? And the Lord said to him, be still. I will fight on your behalf. And if you read the story, man, it's a fantastic story because, not only, because Joseph had sent his worshippers as the front lines of his army, right? And he just stood there. And what happened was the enemy began to kill themselves. Began to kill each other. It brings to mind that verse in Psalm 23. It says that he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Come on. I tell you, I just smacked myself. I tell you. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When he gives me that favor, when he comes upon me, I have to stand, I will stand and I will watch. In the midst of every conflict, every situation, it's an opportunity for me to feast. Not for me to to fix my eyes on circumstances, for me to feast. He prepares a table for me. When God gives you blessing, He adds. No sorrow to it. James 1. I feel it's, it's, it's a verse that, that will, will sum up what that psalm is trying to say. It says this. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. I'd like to put it to you that everything that's good in your life, everything that's perfect, comes from the Father. He is the Creator. We are mistaken when we think that we are experiencing, that what we experience and what we have access to is a result of our own ability. Your ability is a manifestation of His creation. And the mistake we fall into is when we get self-absorbed, when we self-promote, when we get so uh, attracted and caught up to our strengths and our ability. And we fail to recognize that He's the one who created everything. Every good and perfect gift, everything you have good going on in your life comes from the Father. And we have to recognize that. Amen? How many of you still love me? (laughs) You know, I I was doing a a bit of research on on the the topic. You know, um, I like to um, do a bit of Googling, you know, whenever I, I speak, you know. Probably, you know, I think it's God's sovereignty that you know, I'm born in such an era because I don't think I would have been a very good preacher without the Google. And, uh, so, <laughs> and so I was, I was Googling, you know, on the subject of favor. I was like, what do people talk about favor? You know, how do they approach the subject? And, you know, I kid you not, okay, if you Google favor, 
you know, sermons on favor, the first three pages uh, on Google, okay, you, um, I, I didn't even bother to go for the first three pages, it all talks about how to increase in favor, how to grow in favor, how to be favored, you know, and, and it's all along those lines, which is really good. Because, you know, like what I said earlier, we all have to pursue that thing of growing in favor. Because it is, it is the trajectories, the spiritual growth uh, bullet points, if you will, of our, of our lives, right? This has to be a pursuit in our life. But, you know, I, I'm reminded of a verse in Scripture. It says this. It says, He who is given much, much is required. He who is given much, much is required. I don't know about you, but I have come to realize that everything that's good has an opportunity to be perverted and turned into something dysfunctional. Yeah. Right? The person who is extremely gifted, extremely anointed, extremely uh, uh, favored, that person has a high probability of being self-absorbed, of being uh, uh, proud, and, and he will come to a... Uh, and sometimes, you know, we've seen people like that. They come to a place of, of like, you know, I'm so awesome. I do not need the Lord. And they come to a place of independence, which is extremely dangerous for the believer. How something that is pure, something that is beautiful, uh, uh, sex, you know, and, and in, in the context of marriage, how it can be perverted into something dysfunctional, where people just do it flippantly and casually, right? Everything that is good has the opportunity to be perverted if it's not kept in check, Right? And I feel this is the strategy that the, God, that, that, that the Lord gives us for blessing, for favor. To he who is given much, much is required. I propose to you that for the favor of God that, has, that is upon your life, there is a challenge or a responsibility attached to it. And if you do not recognize that there is a responsibility, there is a challenge you keep that area of your life unchecked. And that is a slippery road of compromise and of deception. Amen. Praise God, Andre. Good word. To every blessing that he gives you, there is a measure of responsibility attached to it that makes it hard, but it holds you accountable and it forms your character. The Lord will not bless you beyond what your character can handle. God loves us all the same, but He favors us in different measures. He loves you and I all equally. Uniquely, but equally. But He favors us differently. He favors us according to the measure that we can handle. Amen? And that's my sermon title for this morning. My sermon title is The Challenge of Favor. The challenge of favor. And um, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going I'm to um, look at three uh, individuals in the Bible. We're going to look at three uh, different stories. And from each story, we will pull out a principle, we will pull out a truth. And these three individuals, uh, the Bible actually accounts and records that they experience a certain measure of favor. And with that favor came a challenge. With that favor came uh, something that they had to work out, right? And so we're going to glean from these three stories and afterwards we're going to pray together. Cool? Yeah, that's good. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. 
I want to look at uh, Solomon uh, this morning for my first point. Now, Solomon, you know, I, I preached on Solomon before. Solomon was known to be the wisest of kings, you know. Um, it was said that, that when uh, the Lord came to Solomon and uh, asked Solomon, like, what is your heart's desire? Solomon asked for wisdom. But what is fascinating about the story is that Solomon was not awake in that moment. Solomon was actually sleeping. And he was is in that state of, or he was sleeping and it was in the state where he was completely raw, completely vulnerable, and where he cannot put up any pretense, cannot uh, give the politically right answer, where he, him, you know, because of his heart for the Lord, asked for wisdom. And wisdom, you know, we, we often think that, that wisdom uh, equates to uh, intellectual knowledge or know-how. But, you know, in the, in the biblical translation, the word wisdom actually means a hearing ear. He asked for, he asked God, God, give me a hearing ear. Give me an ear that hears your voice. Give me a ear that a ear that is con- constantly dependent on you. Because we have to recognize that the source of wisdom is not intellect, it's not knowledge. The source of wisdom is the voice of the Lord. Wisdom is not a place you attain, it's a connection you have with the one who knows all things. Come on. Ah. <laughs> and so and so Solomon was was such a king, right? And, you know, um, I, I want to put uh, that verse up. And, and so Solomon uh, would, would have this great kingdom, this great empire, and he would attract uh, visiting kings, visiting queens to come and see the splendor and the glory of his kingdom. And that is an incredibly fascinating thing because, you know, if you're a king, okay, from another land, you are living in comfort, you're living in luxury, everything in that land revolves around you. But kings were so attracted to Solomon's wisdom that they would leave their throne to come and sit at the feet of Solomon and glean from that wisdom. I wonder if we can be a church that models, that carries that level of wisdom, that the world would come to us in time of need. And so one of the, the, the royal figures that came to the land of Sol- that the, the kingdom of Solomon was a queen by the name of Sheba. And, uh, and Sheba, okay, after she did the grand tour, after she saw all that, that Solomon's uh, kingdom had to offer, the furnishings, the way they put the plates, the way they put the fork, the knife, you know, and, and all the things that, that made, uh, that all the changes that Solomon made, she goes on to make this statement, and it's found in 1 King chapter 10. It says this, Indeed, I didn't even hear half the story. Your wisdom and wealth surpasses what was reported to me, your attendants who stand before you at all times and hear your wise sayings are truly happy. May the Lord your God be praised because he favored you by placing you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he made you king so you could make just and right decisions. In summary, this is what the Queen of Sheba is saying. Queen of Sheba is saying to Solomon, Solomon, God has favored you. God has placed you in such a position, given you wisdom because of his great love for Israel. He has favored you, Solomon, because of his love for the people around you. The favor that the Lord puts on your life is not for your sake. It's for the sake of those around you. When favor ends with you, you essentially become a dead sea. 
What is the Dead Sea? A Dead Sea is not a, a body of water that has a lack of nutrients. This is what the Dead Sea is. The Dead Sea has a continuous flow of nutrients with no output. And too much of a good thing can become bad. Too much of a blessing can become dysfunctional if there is no output. Favor that ends with you has missed its intended target. First challenge of favor. Favor requires responsibility. Favor requires responsibility. There is a responsibility attached to the favor that the Lord trusts you with. And let me go into that definition again. Favor can look like influence. Favor can look like resources. Favor can look like empowerment, your gifts, your talents, your strengths. There is a responsibility attached to that which the Lord has entrusted you with. Did I spell it wrongly? Oh, require us. <laughs> I have favor in your eyes. I'm so sorry. I know how to spell. <laughs> you know, so- Solomon will, will do a, a, a fairly good job, you know, um, for a good part of his reign. You know, he, he it was said that you know, Solomon's kingdom lived in, in such a time of peace that there was no threat to the kingdom. It's, it's amazing, you know. It's, it's, it, it, Solomon's reign is still considered as the golden age of Israel. It was the high point. It was no other king even came close to touching you know, the splendor of Solomon's kingdom. But the mistake that Solomon made was this. Solomon, you know, and, and I've, I've talked about it before, Solomon began to marry foreign wives, you know, and, um, and one, you know, because he was inclined to having many women around, but also because he was ambitious. He wanted to, to to uh, gain more territories. And when you have a connection to a foreign land, you know, by marrying the daughter, you have access, right? And so Solomon became such a man, you know, he opened the doors of his kingdom to marrying foreign wives. And the mistake that Solomon did was that he got rid of his trusted advisors. He got rid of the prophet who brought him the word of the Lord. And he only heeded advice and counsel from his wives. And these wives came with an agenda, you know, they all came from foreign lands and they all worshipped their foreign idols, right? And, and after, you know, they, they, they said, you know, the things that Solomon wanted to hear, they tickled his ears, you know. Uh, you know, the, the Bible says that in the last days that, that people would want to hear the words that tickled their ears, that, that they fancy, that they love to hear. And so, and so these wives would, would you know, cho-cho Solomon and then he would, he would open the doors of Israel, God's nation, Prosperous, splendorous, two foreign worship, two foreign idols. And some scholars today say that it took Israel 300 years to recover from all that Solomon brought into Israel. 300 years. Wise king, favored, foolish decisions at the end of his life. It took them 300 years to recover from all that he brought in. What am I saying to you this morning? It's, I'm saying that, you know, when you have favor, it's really important who you surround yourself with. You have to surround yourself with people who will remind you of the purpose of your favor. It is so fascinating, it's so interesting that how a king who was known for wisdom 
will end his life making some of the most foolish decisions. Could it be that it's what the Bible is saying, in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. When you eliminate counsel from your life, when you eliminate people who will confront you, people who will tell you as it is, away from your life, it's a slippery road into foolishness. That making sense? My first time back from battle, you know, I descended from the hill, I came back to, from Singapore, and I remember I was halfway uh, uh, through school. And I remember, you know, I was on a spiritual high, I was loving it. I was, um, you know, I saw people getting healed, I heard some of the most fascinating teachings, you know, and when I came home, I, when I come home, you know, of course people are like, oh my gosh, you came from Bethel, pray for me, sir. And I'll be like, sure, I'll pray for you. And, and so, um, and so, you know, they, people come up to me all the time, right? You know, they'll come up to me all the time. And, and, I, and I was loving it, you know. And then I had, I had a really good, good friend, my best friend. He came back from Iris, from Mozambique. And, you know, XO, and completely different uh, environment, you know. I was in the USA, in and out. He was in Mozambique, um, eating food in and out, come, in, come straight away, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Diarrhea is what I'm talking about. Um, and, so, and so, you know, I, I remember talking about, you know, all my experiences with battle uh, one day, and, and I was like, oh, I love it. You know, I'm so, uh, I'm so happy. And I was really flaunting my favor, so to speak. And he said this to me. I said, oh, Andre, I love that. But he said this. Andre, did you learn to love while you were there? And it's such a... It's such a... I tell you, if you're familiar, you know, it's such a low-blow Irish statement. But, 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 but it was true. It was true. It was absolutely true. And, and I'm so thankful I had that, that, that moment of confrontation from, from a friend who loved and cared. And my question is, do you have friends around you that will give you that ouch statement, if, you, if, you, if you're following me, that will, that will tell you as it is, that will give you a low-blow when you need it? You're like, you're like, dude, Great, but what about this? The nature of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. The person with the plank in his eye needed someone else to tell him that he had a plank in his eye. Who are the people in your life that will tell you you have planks in your eye? No, the, it's... You know, I, I remember, you know, it was, it was also in that... Um, in that, in that uh, I hope I do not go over time. So please follow me. If, are you liking what I'm saying? Yes? Okay. Follow me. It was also in that time, right, you know, I, there was this thing that the Lord placed in my heart when I first got saved. First I got saved, 17, it said, Andre, I want you to never walk past someone begging on the street. I want you to never walk past someone um, selling tissue paper without praying for them or without giving. I, I, and, and it was something that I held as a, a core principle, core conviction. And I know a lot of people will be like, oh, it's a scam. I, yeah, sure. You know, and, and I, I would do it, you know, and I, I did it for years. And I remember when I went out to battle, I descended from the hill, and then I came back home, and, and, and I was walking at City Hall one day, and, and there were like three or four people selling tissue, and I just walked past all of them. And as I walked past all of them, you know, and, and I was, I was, as I was at a traffic light, all of a sudden, I just felt the Lord speak. He said, Andre, the day you choose not to love a person in need is the day your ministry ends. Wow. And, and I, I, 
is something that, you know, and you know, anyone who follows me, anyone who is, uh, is someone close to me would, would give money to teach paper because I do it all the time. And you know, it's so funny, me and Amy, we have a little ministry where we reach out to the people selling tissue and we'll pray for them and we'll uh, share the gospel with them, you know, and, and something that is a core uh, conviction in my heart. It's, it's a principle. And you know, you know you're in a dangerous place when you compromise on your principles and your convictions. That's what Solomon did. He compromised. And he lost it. He lost his favor. Favor has responsibility attached to it. I believe that sometimes God in his mercy will remove your favor so that he can preserve your character. What profits a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? Amen. Hallelujah. Andre, you did good. <laughs> there is a responsibility. Come on. You know, in, 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 I, I'm not going to go to the verse, but in Acts, right, it talks about how the believers grew in favor and the Lord added to their numbers daily. Amazing, right? Added to their numbers daily. They grew in favor and the Lord added to their numbers daily. What is so attractive about favor that would be a tool, an extension of evangelism? Hosea 3, amazing verse. Uh, you, you will love it. It says this. It says that in the last days, people would fear God because of His goodness. They would fear the Lord. And the, that word fear is not a drawing away, not a afraid kind of fear, but they'll be in awe of the Lord because of His goodness. What if, okay, the responsibility on your life and mine is to model such a favor, to live life with the goodness of God all over our lives that people would see and be instantly attracted to the Lord, that we live our lives as signs that point people to the reality of the kingdom, reality of a father who gives good and perfect gifts. There is a responsibility to your favor. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to um, look at my next um, person in the Bible. I want to talk about Esther. Everybody say Esther. Now, you know, how many of you are familiar with the story of Esther? Most of you, yeah? You know, Esther um, lived under the rule of a Persian king uh, named Xerxes. And um, she, was, uh, she lived around the time where um, her, her ancestors, you know, they were part of something called the Great Exile. And uh, the Jewish people were actually driven away from their land for 50 years. And uh, when, at, at the time where, where Esther was born and, and this story is happening, it was, it was the time where um, they were starting to allow them to come back into the land. Okay? So they were not exiled anymore, but they were oppressed still. You know, they were under a foreign rulership. And, you know, um, Esther, you know, um, was an, an orphan girl. You know, she was a Jew. And um, King Xerxes, you know, he had a wife, uh, did not like the wife, and disposed of the wife. Um, and then he asked for um, his officials to parade all these women in front of him. And out of all these women, he picked Esther. And he named her, you know, his queen. And, and, and she became part of uh, the royal entourage. So she lived in the palace. She ex- experienced comfort. She experienced you know, that, that whole thing of like everything revolving around. her servants. And she was in a place of great favor. Follow me. Yes? And this was, was Esther. And, um, and you know, Esther's uncle Mordecai, you know, he would uncover a plot that, um, 
that you know one of the king's most trusted officials was uh, he, he began to make plans to eliminate all the Jews because he felt disrespected and he was going to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai pleaded with Esther, Esther, you need to go and see the king and you need to, to uh, petition and you need to use the favor that the Lord has given you to save the people. And to give us a bit of context, I want to look at this verse. Let's uh, go down, I think it's a couple of slides. Next, ah uh, yeah, this one, yeah. It says this, it says, All the king's official and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. And this was the risk that Esther was about to partake of. She had that favor, right? And then she was about to risk it all for the salvation of her people. And let's have the next verse. It says this. It says this, this is what Esther said to the king. It says, Esther replied to the king. He said, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if I please the king to, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. I'd like to put it to you that favor demands risk. Favor demands risk. She's going to put her favor at risk to gain another level of favor to bring about change. Esther was born not to live in the comforts of the palace, the applause of men, the fanfare. She was born to effect change in the course of history that would bring deliverance to the nation of Israel. It's from this story we get that famous verse. It says that you were born for such a time as this. You know, we use it as a prophetic degree. You know, we even brand our conferences with that verses. But you know, that verse was a verse for a really scary time. Esther was about to risk her favor. She was about to lay it down for the sake of her people. It demanded her to risk. It demanded her to have a loose grasp on the comfort, on, on the security. Demanded her to risk. Now, I'm reminded of Heidi Baker. You know, we all know Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker grew up, wealthy family, Laguna Beach, and uh, had a, an amazing education. You know, uh, had a PhD from King's College, and the Lord spoke to her one day to, to give everything up and move to the poorest nation of the world. As, uh, Heidi had favor. She had resources. She had influence because of her education. She had all of that, but she gave it all up to move to Mozambique. And the question is, why does it take a person of greater favor to come to that land? Why can't God just use someone in that land to effect change? Now I'm reminded that Jesus is one of great favor. Jesus had favor with the Father. Jesus was loved and beloved in the heavenlies, and he came down to earth, used his favor, to lift us up. It's the perfect picture of what the Lord intends for us to do with our favor. Your favor is not for you to experience, to, to enjoy, to simply enjoy the comforts of being up here. It's for you to come down and lift someone else up. It is when the king of all becomes the servant of all. And the beautiful thing is is, you know, Heidi would, 
this year she, she's, uh, she has dreams and plans to start a university. You know, and we all think that, oh, she, her PhD degree is, has gone to waste, but now she's actually getting used that degree to start a university. In order to start a university, you have to have a doctorate. And now she can finally use the doctorate to start a Christian university in Mozambique to bless a nation. I'm of the opinion that when you lay something down for the Lord, whatever you pick up is substantially more. Abraham laid down Isaac. What, what happened after he picked Isaac up? He became not just the father of Isaac, he became the father of nations. When you lay something out, when you put something out at risk, you pick up something substantially more valuable. Maybe not in this life, but in eternity. Am I making sense to you this morning? It might come as news to you and a surprise, but you've been entrusted with the greatest gift that God could ever give humanity. You've been entrusted with the greatest gift, a, a, a treasure more valuable than all the gold, all the treasures on the earth. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Spirit of God that resides in you and me. And that Spirit came with two conditions. It says this in the Bible. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And grief talks about character. It talks about living a lifestyle that does not grieve the Holy Spirit, living a pure lifestyle that, that honors the Spirit of God that rests upon your life, that lives in you. But the second condition is this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. And what does quenching speak of? It's like if you take a hose, okay, that is pouring out water, and you, you bend it, and you, you cap it, and the water starts flowing. That's what quenching looks like. It's stopping the flow. Question is, have you hindered the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you lived a life that, that so activist, that so steps out when the Holy Spirit so demands you to? John Wimber says this. He says that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. To live a life of faith, you have to take risk. The, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. You live by faith and not by sight. The opposite of faith is certainty. It's uncomfortable, it's hard, but it's the life that you and I are called to live. We profess to be people of faith. We profess to run after this thing called the Christian faith. How much faith have you exercised in your life? Is faith even a needed thing in your life? Because you're so comfortable with the favor upon your life that it does not require you to take any risk. I put it to you that you are in a dangerous place when you do not exercise what he's given you. Amen. Amen. Last one. We're going to look at Mary. There's always something about Mary. And uh, this, is, this is Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. And uh, you know, I, I preached this on Christmas, so I, I don't think I need to give you a lot of context. But let's just look at the verse, shall we? <clears throat> verse is this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to marry to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, in the Bible, we've, we've seen different men, different individuals who uh, are said to have the favor of the Lord. But Mary is the only individual 
where the Bible actually uh, describes her favor as one of a, a higher level. You are highly favored in some translations, greatly favored, that your favor is upon favor. And that was the favor that rests upon Mary. And we have to understand that this favor will cost her so much. It says this in the Bible, it says that Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Her favor was going to cost her her relationship to a betrothed. By the law standard, she would have been stoned and killed. Crazy. Crazy. And, and she would try to keep the pregnancy under wraps. She would try and, and, and hide it. But over time, that pregnancy would show. And that favor will be recognizable. Much like what I was talking about earlier, the different examples of people with favor. That favor, you know, you can try to keep it under wraps, but over time, people will know you win 15 Facebook contests because you post on Facebook. It will show. It will cause her to walk differently. It will cause her to live life differently. And that favor will cost her a relationship. I put it to you that the third challenge of favor is that favor attracts conflict. Scary. Favor attracts conflict. The nature of favor is this, that it is undeserved, unmerited. Society today values ability above all else. It is extremely offensive for you to be of a status or enjoy comforts that are beyond what you deserve based on your ability. Extremely offensive. But we live in a kingdom that does not simply value competence, it values character. And the Lord will trust so much more to a man of character than a man of competence. I believe that with all my heart. Track the conflict, you know. It, something hard, you know. And I'm sure, you know, if, if I were to do a poll and ask, ask all of us a question today, like how many of you have experienced favor? How many of you have lost friends because of that favor? Many of you would, would respond to that. It is hard. It's fun, it's enjoyable, but it's, it's, it's extremely difficult, right? And I think it's, it's my, my duty to you, almost, you know, to inform you that there is a responsibility attached to every blessing. To he who is given much, much is required. And it's, um, it's a disservice on my behalf to you to, to just preach about how to increase in that favor without telling you the responsibility that's attached to it. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning. We will all increase in favor. We will all grow in our influence. But we have to recognize that there is a responsibility attached to it. There is a cost. Am I making sense? It's not just an external conflict that favor brings. It brings about an internal conflict as well. Um, you know, I, I said earlier that the word for favor in the Bible is the word cherish, is where we get the word charisma. And favor often looks very attractive, very pleasing, right? And I, I remember, I, I think it's Billy Graham, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember Billy Graham, uh, there was once he was uh, preaching around and he was in a hotel and a woman actually sneaked into his hotel to, you know, we are all adults, and, 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 and was trying to get him to fall, and, was, and she was so attracted to the favor. And, and since then, no Billy Graham would have guards and, 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 and his, his aides would uh, check out the hotel room before Billy went in because he didn't want to put, be put in a compromising situation. And uh, one of my, my friends, you know, he, 
he's a pretty well-known speaker, and uh, he was telling me that he went to Indonesia once. And, uh, no, it was Korea. He went to Korea once, and uh, he went to his hotel room, and uh, he woke up in the middle of the night with his hand outside of his bed, and a Korean man was kneeling next to his bed with his hand on, on, on his head because he wanted an impartation. He sneaked in his hotel room to get prayer. I tell you, man, woo! <laughs> yeah, do not sneak into my room. I will pray for you here. Um, favor is really attractive, right? Charisma, it draws, right? And there is that conflict. Because here's the thing, you know, here's the thing. If, it, when, you know, people are so attracted and people so value you because of favor, it's really easy to get self-absorbed, impressed with yourself almost. I am such an awesome person. People sneak into my room. Like, that is a whole different level of ministry, you know. Like, right now, just people come up to the altar, but when people come into my room, woo! You know, but it's, it's so easy to get self-absorbed and impressed with yourself. Amen? Right? And, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite book collections is a book, a collection named God's Generals. It's uh, by name name. Robert Slayerdon, and in God's Generals, you know, it's a thick book, but in every uh, uh, book, uh, he, he, um, he goes on to, to uh, share the story about, of uh, 10 um, Christian figures, Christian leaders, you know, um, some of them um, from the 1800s, 1900s, and Billy Graham is in the book as well. And um, it is an incredibly fascinating, um, uh, you know, um, eye-opening uh, read. You know, I highly recommend it you know, to all of you. But one of the most frustrating things about reading God's Generals is that you read about great men who started off really well but ended off their lives so, so poorly. It's so frustrating you know, that, that, that this would happen to them. And if you read the book of Kings, you know, the Bible's version of God's Generals, uh, you, would, you would find great kings who started off incredibly well but ended their lives poorly. And one of them was Solomon. But today I want to end off... Um, the sermon by talking about one of my favorite kings, and it's a king by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a it's an amazing king, you know. And uh, if you're looking for resources on reading the Book of Kings, reading um, the Old Testament, especially the portion of Kings, I I'll be more than happy to recommend some. Um, it's incredibly fascinating, and uh, and you know it it pains me that most people don't even read this because it's they find it tough. But you will learn so much, you know, by reading Kings. And uh, in Kings, we we'll read about. Uh, Hezekiah and Hezekiah was a king after the reign of David and Solomon, and he was stand out as one of the premier reformers of all time. Hezekiah inherited the nation in extremely bad shape. You know they were they were uh, poor. You know there was idolatrous worship, and uh, he followed Solomon and David. You know so this is the high point. Like he was like these guys were doing the stuff, and then Hezekiah followed after them, and so um, he had a lot to prove. You know, and so. Uh, 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 like what I said earlier, Solomon introduced idolatrous worship into Israel. It takes 300 years to reform. And Hezekiah was a big part of that reformation. Hezekiah uh, uh, would go on to restore the nations to worship. He would rebuild the altars. There, were, there was extraordinary giving and generosity during his reign. This was how they counted the offering. They counted it in uh, heaps. The Bible actually says that that the, the offerings were, were counted as heaps. There was a heap of this, there was a heap of that because the numbers were so extravagant that they couldn't, they couldn't number it. And that was uh, Hezekiah's reign. And, and some years after, Hezekiah would get really sick. He receives a word from the prophet to, 
get his affairs in order because he was going to die. And uh, most of us will be familiar with that part. And so Hezekiah pleads with the Lord and God extends his life. Amazing, amazing uh, uh, story of like how, you know, sometimes, you know, all you need to do is pray. I wonder how many uh, uh, things happen to you or how many of uh, life circumstances you experience because you refuse to pray. Sometimes it's as simple as, as going to the Lord and Lord, change this situation. I need your grace. I need your help. And um, he pleads to the Lord and God extends his life. And in 2 Kings, it says this. It says that Hezekiah received envoys from foreign land. He showed them all that was in his storehouse, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his armory, and everything found among treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Hezekiah flaunted his wealth, flaunted his favor to these foreign uh, uh, enemies. You know, actually they were enemies. And he flaunted to them. And, and he became so self-absorbed. He became so proud of all that he has accomplished. And it's one of the saddest verses in Kings, but I want you to read you know, where uh, this verse or where Hezekiah was at towards the end of life, his life. It says this. It says, But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor that was shown him. Therefore, wrath came upon him. Hezekiah was so lifted up in his heart that he did not offer proper gratitude to the Lord. And he became ungrateful, if you would. The danger of blessing is that you are susceptible to being lifted up and impressed with yourself. Hezekiah became lifted up and lost gratitude in his heart. And this is the nature of thankfulness. The nature of thankfulness is offering credit where credit is due. You lose gratitude and thankfulness in your heart when you lose sight of where credit is due. When you become impressed with yourself, you think credit is due this way. You lose sight. And it's a really, really dangerous place. To be. I'm going to close with two images. In the book of Revelations, scary book, I encourage you to read it. Book of Revelations, there are two images that have that's always profoundly stuck with me. First image is this God is on the throne. 24 elders surround him and worship him. And get this, they take the crowns off their heads and they lay it down at his feet. What does that tell me? It tells me that there will come a day where I'll lay it down before his feet. There'll come a day where I'll lay down the crown, which symbolizes reward, symbolizes influence at his feet because he's worthy. There'll come a day where the Lord might tell me, either, either in, in eternity or on earth, where he'll tell me, lay down your crown. There'll come a day. How do we get to a place where it's, it's easy to do that? Hold loosely. Hold loosely to what doesn't belong to you anyway. Pity said it. It's amazing to hold loosely to what you value greatly because it doesn't belong to you anyway. When I refuse to lay down my crown, when it's time to lay down my crown, I become a soul. Second image that has always stuck with me. We worship the lamb on the throne. How many of you get that? 
it's the Lamb of God that will be on the throne. Oh, it's always puzzling that it's not the Son of God. It's not the captain of the Lord of hosts. It's not the great conqueror. But it's the Lamb that's on the throne that we worship for all eternity. Get this. The reference point of what it took for you to be saved and be inducted into his family will be in sight for all eternity because you cannot lose sight of what it took to get you in. You cannot lose sight of thankfulness and gratitude. And for all eternity, our song will be a song of thanksgiving and gratitude. We never mature and move past that. Amen? Can we all stand? Amen, amen. For all eternity, the reality is this. You did not get what you deserve. You got what he deserved. What you deserve is this. It says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came because of his blood on the cross, because he paid the price on your behalf. You no longer get what you deserve. You got what he deserved. Amen. And that is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest favor that's been extended unto men. Now you and I get to freely partake in that favor. I want to, I want to leave you with one last thought. Can, can we have one last thought? Are we okay? Yes? This is yes? One last thought, okay? We all know this. God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. He provided for them manna. And manna, you know, it's said to be a wafer-like substance that tastes like honey. And in the wilderness, this manna will appear in the morning magically on the ground, right? And it was said that this manna actually came from the glory of God and it would feed, it would sustain the children of Israel in a time of wilderness. But one of the saddest accounts in the Bible is this, that the children of Israel, they grew weary of the manna and they complained bitterly against the Lord. They grew weary, they lost thankfulness and gratitude for the everyday dependable miracle. And they lost sight of that and they lost thankfulness. When I first got saved, the presence of God was a luxury to me. Coming to church and being in this environment was something I so treasured and so longed for. But I've, I've, I've come to a, a point of reflection and realized that this presence that I so valued at one point I've come to a place where I can multitask in it. I will read my text, check my Facebook, check my Instagram. It's not a rebuke on, on any of you, but it's a personal reflection on me. It's what happens when you lose gratitude and thankfulness in your heart. You give room to familiarity, and familiarity is what strips you away from gratitude. And without thankfulness and gratitude, blessing is extremely dangerous. You want to be blessed? Great. Develop a thankful heart for your sake. Perhaps the challenge for us today is to remember the conclusion that we did not deserve this. He paid the price for us to get what we deserve. Can we close our eyes in this place and let's lift our hands. In your own way, I want you to begin to engage with the Lord and connect for just a moment begin to reflect on the price that was paid for the favour that you experienced today.
begin to reflect that it is His mercy. We deserved wrath. But because of His grace, because of His great love for you, for all humanity, we no longer get or have to live under the ramifications of our mistake. But we get to live a life free, blameless, guiltless, because He paid the price on your behalf. The Lamb that was slain is the Lamb that sits on the throne that is worthy of our adoration and our love. So this morning, begin to respond to Him as the band leads us to the song. Come on, lift up your voice. Shatter my name.